Welcome to Blank Canvas, the podcast that explores the histories, mysteries, and eccentricities of art. I am your host, Bridget Ginter. Today, we are following up with Vincent Van Gogh and The Night from Hell. Some of you may know it as the night Vincent Van Gogh supposedly cut off his own ear. In this episode, we will also be talking about Vincent's final days and his legacy as an artist. We will also be reviewing a few details left out in the last episode, particularly an alternative theory of how Vincent's ear became severed. If you haven't listened to our part one of Vincent Van Gogh, please be sure to listen to the first episode prior to this second edition. This is the story behind the painting, because before there was any work of art, there was a blank canvas. Everything comes to a head on December 23rd, 1888. As historians, we kind of have to piece together what happened from different first and second-hand accounts. Unfortunately, much of the information we have is either unclear or conflicting. At this point, no one is alive that was actually there that night. To me, these conflicting accounts really make sense. Often, people tell stories to make themselves sound more interesting or important, more enticing, more exciting, or sometimes to get them off the hook. Not like I've ever done something like that. The truth is often somewhere in between the cracks. In addition to inconsistencies due to, shall we say, inflated personalities, some of these accounts were documented months, even years after the fact. This is when memories were already blurred. And remember, this infamous night most likely involved absinthe, also known as the Green Fairy. The days leading up to the incident, the dynamic duo, Vincent and Gauguin were stuck in the house due to rainy weather. On December 23, 1888, Gauguin had decided to spend the night at a hotel because of Vincent's reportedly aggressive and unstable behavior. Of course, this is according to Gauguin. Maybe after the fact, he wanted to paint Vincent more or less as the insane and stable one, when in reality, he played some part in the argument. Who really knows? What we do know is that Vincent was going through a personal crisis. It was the holiday season. And as we know, the holidays can bring out various feelings within us all, especially if we are alone and far away from our families. To make matters even more complicated, Theo, Vincent's brother, closest friend and ally, was about to announce his engagement to Mary. Vincent saw this as his brother leaving him behind. Vincent always had a hard time in the game of love. On some level, he felt threatened and upset by the fact that his brother was moving on with his life in ways that Vincent was not. On top of all this, Gauguin decides to leave, saying he's had enough of Vincent and his behaviors. So basically, putting this all together, 
we have rough times. In the last episode, we discussed the fact that Gauguin was getting tired of living with Vincent. Vincent and Gauguin didn't really see eye to eye on a lot of things. And Gauguin wasn't necessarily wanting to spend the rest of his living days in Arles. He was more interested in chasing underage Tahitian girls. As Gauguin left to spend the night at a local hotel, Vincent really thought he was leaving for good. According to Gauguin, Vincent chased after him through the streets with a razor. This account is uncorroborated. Vincent then returned back to the Yellow House. It is at this period Vincent, alone in the Yellow House and in his torment, is said to have cut off his own ear. Some have argued he was hearing voices and most likely wanted those voices to stop. It is hard to know exactly what kind of cut it was. Some have even argued it was just a nub of ear, while other evidence shows it was more of a significant portion of ear. We do know that there was a significant amount of blood, and it does look like it was a visible portion of ear. Years after, a letter written by the doctor that treated Van Gogh suggests that it actually was the entire portion of ear based on some drawings that were also included in the letter. Vincent later does not seem to have much memory of the incident, so most likely he was in a fit of mania, possibly even mixed with alcohol, etc. After cutting off his ear, Vincent then walks in his fit of mania through the streets of Arles to the Maison de Tolerance, a local brothel, and asks for Rachel, according to the newspapers. He wears a large beret on his head that hides his bleeding ear. He carries with him his severed ear wrapped in paper. He gives this package to Rachel, saying something to the effect of, remember me and keep this safe, it will help you. When the girl looks at what Vincent has given her, she faints, appropriately. After safely delivering the ear, he abruptly leaves back to his yellow house where he breaks down crying in his room. This is where the police later find him and he is taken to the local hospital to be treated. One among many questions you may have is, who was this girl that Vincent van Gogh gave his ear to and why? People falsely assume that because Vincent van Gogh was in a brothel, the girl he gave his ear to was a prostitute. And that is a logical connection, but not necessarily the truth. Let's discuss a little about prostitution in 19th century France. Prostitution was legal and an occupation for many women. A French brothel was called a Maison de Tolerance, literally translated as a house of tolerance. Literally, they were tolerated by society, not embraced. Tolerated. Napoleon Bonaparte was the brain behind mandating that all prostitutes be nationally registered and comply with bi-weekly health inspections. 
A brothel was run like a business, usually by a woman who was more often than not a retired prostitute. If you were unregistered and arrested twice for prostitution, you were forced to enlist yourself on the National Register. So, let's go back to syphilis. In theory, regular testing and registration as a legal sex worker would be a great way to flatten the curve, so to speak. However, many women did not want to be legally registered as a prostitute. Once you were in, it was a hard profession to get out of. So many women worked under the table, so to speak, in order to get money, but not necessarily have it follow them around for the rest of their life. Remember, this was 19th century France, and France is, to this day, a Catholic country. Although the French are open, prostitution was not necessarily a glorified profession. A Maison de Tolerance was highly popular, not just in the Parisian capital, where it is estimated about a quarter of the male population visited, but also in the countryside. Now, back to Rachel with the ear. We can't find a Rachel that worked in that particular Maison de Tolerance. We also have to take into consideration, why would Vincent give his ear to a random person? Mental breakdown or not, there has to be more to the story. Vincent specifically walked into this Maison de Tolerance, gave his ear to an individual, and then returned home. Regardless of how salacious the story may seem, there were a number of factors that we can address. Most likely, this Rachel would be someone Vincent knew and had met before. There is compelling evidence that this person was not, in fact, named Rachel, but an 18-year-old young woman named Gabrielle. Gabrielle was not a registered prostitute at all, but a maid in the brothel at night. She also would have been a maid in the mornings, specifically a maid at Place Lamartine, the location where Vincent rented rooms and where he hung out all night at the Café de la Gare. Possibly Rachel was a mistake, or an alias written in the paper in order to protect a local village girl from involvement in this scandal. Gabrielle was in fact a local girl. Vincent would have seen her almost every day. She was also a girl with a tragic past. Earlier that year, she had something terrible happen to her. She was bitten by a rabid dog. In those days, a dog bite and rabies could be deadly. Her family was able to get her help at the Institut Pasteur in Paris, where she was vaccinated multiple times. She recovered, but she still had an awful scar on her arm from the bite and from her wound being cauterized. Gabrielle fits the kind of woman that Vincent was attracted to. Women that, in his eyes, needed to be saved. Other love interests from Van Gogh's life included his widowed cousin, who actually wanted nothing to do with him, and a pregnant prostitute. Cien was the name of the pregnant prostitute. She was actually a woman that Vincent fantasized about marrying and having a family with. 
She is also the subject of some of Vincent's early sketches and drawings when he was first learning about art in his 20s. When she gave birth, and note it was not to Vincent's child, the Van Gogh family was not too keen on him marrying into such a unorthodox situation. Knowing this background about the kind of woman Vincent was attracted to, it is not too far-fetched that he would be enamored with a village girl that had a tragic history. One theory is that Vincent's gift of his flesh, his ear, was indeed meant to cure this girl of her scarred arm. In January 1889, when he was released from his first stay in the hospital at Arles, Vincent resumed painting. He painted his infamous self-portrait with bandaged ear. His face is solemn, he has a three-quarter profile, his bandage is prominent, and he wears a black furry hat. It is a sad portrait of a man that struggled, a prolific artist for his brief time painting, an enthusiast of nature and life, and a man that deeply wanted to be understood, but inevitably ended up pushing people away. The day before my departure, Vincent ran after me. I turned around because for some time he had been acting strangely, but I was wary of him. Then he told me, you are silent, but I will also be silent. Ever since I had been going to leave Arles, he was so bizarre that I couldn't take it anymore. He had even said to me, are you going to leave? And then I said, yes. He tore this sentence from a newspaper and put it in my hand. The murderer took flight. So, this is Gauguin's account of the incident. These are Gauguin's words as told to Emile Bernard, an artist and friend of both Vincent and Gauguin. After hearing all this, you might have some questions. Among them, what the heck does all this mean? Well, there is another quite plausible theory when it comes to what happened to Vincent's ear. Remember, according to Gauguin, Vincent was a loose cannon and acting crazy, violent, etc. Vincent cuts off his own ear because he is a lunatic, according to Gauguin. But what if that is just a story that Gauguin wanted us to believe? What if Vincent was just a guy having a hard time in life, lonely, depressed, and scared, and Gauguin took advantage of him, knowing how to push his buttons. An alternative story to this night centers not only around Vincent and Gauguin's verbal altercations, but around potential physical disputes. It begins around Gauguin's skills in fencing. We know for an absolute fact Gauguin brought all of his fencing supplies to Arles because there are letters between him and Vincent months later asking for them to be shipped back to him. Could this altercation have escalated from a verbal dispute to Gauguin getting out his fencing sword? It is not too far-fetched due to the fact that he did bring out his sword from time to time to practice. On this particular day, Vincent was already upset, a bit out of control, and most likely manic. 
When Gauguin pointed his sword at Vincent, this could have escalated the situation. Even if it was not done on purpose, this scenario is a definite possibility. We also have to address the reported surgical neatness of the sliced ear, according to doctors that treated Vincent. I can imagine that slicing off your own ear with precision would be quite difficult, especially if you had never done it before, which Vincent had never. To my knowledge and everything I have read, slicing off your own ear is quite uncommon, even amongst those that do suffer from mental disturbances. Self-mutilation or self-harm is common. Slicing off your ear with surgical precision, not as much. Is it possible that Gauguin was the one that sliced off Vincent's ear? In my opinion, yes. Why does Vincent say, you are silent, indeed, I will be too? Perhaps this was their pact, to stay silent about what really happened. We will never know, and the two never really confirm or talk about exactly what happened that night. Everything is vague, and there are multiple theories and opinions. What we do know is Vincent never admitted to chopping off his own ear. That is a certainty. It is a great tragedy that someone so talented faced such hardship. Shortly after Vincent created his self-portrait with bandaged ear, he actually had a few more mini-breakdowns before the town of Arles signed a petition to have him banned from the town. Some of Vincent's so-called friends, such as the Genus, even signed the petition. It was at this time Vincent went to Saint-Rémy, as we discussed in episode one. When Vincent left Saint-Rémy, he had a whole bunch of new paintings under his belt, and he was ready for a new chapter in his life. Little did anyone know that he had little time left on this earth. Theo arranged for Vincent's transition out of the hospital in Saint-Rémy to the little town of Auvers-sur-Oise. Auvers is in the outskirts of Paris, so much closer to Theo than when Vincent was in Provence. Auvers also had a thriving artistic community of Impressionist painters. It seemed like a perfect fit. On May 20th, 1890, Vincent van Gogh moved into an attic room at the Auberge Raveau in Auvers-sur-Oise. He was only 37 years old. Auvers was also a perfect choice because it was home to a doctor that Theo thought could help treat his brother's sensitive temperament. The name of that doctor was Dr. Paul Gachet. Dr. Gachet specialized in melancholy, among other things, and treated other artists such as Pizarro, Renoir, Manet, and Cezanne. He was also buddies with all of these artists. By the time Dr. Gachet died in 1909, he had collected one of the largest Impressionist art collections in Europe. I have my own issues with Dr. Gachet, which I will touch on later. However, it is important to note that Dr. Gachet 
was also an amateur artist. To say the least, Vincent was not necessarily impressed, and even referred to Dr. Gachet as more ill than himself, as if the blind were leading the blind. To this I say, yikes. Vincent painted a couple of portraits of Dr. Paul Gachet. In both portraits, Vincent captures a sadness, a melancholy, if you will, about the doctor. This makes sense based on what Vincent said of him. Dr. Gachet rests his head in his hands. He does not engage with the viewer, eyes looking off in the distance as if contemplating his life. It is a quite sad, lonely portrait. The first version was bought by a Japanese businessman in 1990 for $82.5 million. The businessman later went broke and reportedly committed suicide. Lore has it that he said he would go to the grave with the painting. The painting is now missing. If any of you out there know its whereabouts, please let me know. I would love to track it down and see it with my own two eyes. The second version lives in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. Although, note, this second version has been questioned if it is even real. Some have even speculated that perhaps Gachet or his son Paul copied his portrait after the original. They were both amateur artists, as mentioned. Additionally, some historians have deemed it impossible that Vincent created more than 70 works of art in such a short period of time in Auvers. That would make him have to create over one painting per day. Basically, unheard of. We don't really even know how Dr. Gachet specifically medically treated Vincent, other than encouraging him to paint, encouraging him to smoke less, and encouraging him to drink less. So, Let's talk more about the paintings that Vincent created during his time in Auvers. Many of his paintings depict the countryside around Auvers, the immense sky that in Vincent's words were turbulent. To Vincent, the sky was expressive, expressing his own feelings of sadness and extreme loneliness. We see this with Wheatfield with Crows from July 1890. In this painting, the sky is dark and menacing, almost like a black hole, with crows swarming around the wheat fields and sky. It is not his most captivating painting, but it is expressive. It is dark. It is not a happy, uplifting landscape. It is a creepy landscape. It is foreshadowing and foreboding. In the middle of the painting is a green path that stands out against the yellow. The green path at the center leads nowhere and vanishes into the horizon. Although sad, Vincent gave every indication that he was looking forward to the future, writing his brother that he hopes to bring his paintings to Paris as soon as possible because they express something that he is unable to express in words. On July 27, 1890, Vincent failed to turn up at dinner at the inn where he had been lodging since May. 
The Raveau family, who ran the inn, were very accustomed to Vincent leaving each day with his paints, yet always showing up for his evening meal. Knowing Vincent's punctuality with meals, Mr. and Mrs. Raveau and their daughter immediately began to worry. Vincent finally came home in the late evening with a gunshot wound to the chest. The bullet was still in his chest, lodged in a place that was extremely difficult, be it impossible to extract. Theo was notified immediately and rushed on the train from Paris. Vincent died in the early hours of July 29, 1890. Although it appears the cause of death was suicide, we really don't know, just like we don't really know with his ear. The specific gun used was never found, and there are many questions about his death that still remain. I am very sorry that this story doesn't have more closure. We do know that he died in his brother Theo's arms. His last words were, La tristesse dura toujours, meaning the sadness will last forever. After Vincent's death, Theo organized a retrospective exhibition of his brother's work. The exhibition was a success, however, Theo's health was failing, and shortly after, he too suffered a severe nervous breakdown. About six months after Vincent's death, Theo too died from what appears to have been complications of syphilis. The two are buried side by side in Auvergne. Vincent's fame grew very rapidly after his death, partly because Theo was an art dealer and because he had so many different connections in the art world when he was still alive. And, of course, because Vincent's personal artistic style was and is so unique. Interestingly, but not surprisingly, Vincent often traded paintings for services. Many of the gifts of paintings that he gave were not necessarily appreciated at the time. One of his paintings he gave to his physician in Arles. This is the physician that helped treat his ear. The doctor disliked the painting and actually used it to repair a chicken coop before giving it away. This is not the only story such as that. Other stories like this abound. Vincent's mother never understood her son. She was deeply disappointed and often embarrassed by his behavior. When he gave her a painting as a gift, she, as noted in episode one, reportedly got rid of it, destroyed it, etc. Today, Van Gogh paintings are all over the world in famous museums and collections. There is a Van Gogh museum in Amsterdam completely dedicated to his life and work. In his short career as an artist, he managed to create more than 2,000 artworks, consisting of around 900 paintings and 1,100 drawings and sketches. My favorite painting is Vincent's final self-portrait from 1889, now in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. It is exactly what he wanted to revolutionize, the modern portrait that shows more about what you are on the inside as opposed to being concerned with external specifics. 
Vincent wears a turquoise suit. Behind him, a swirly, tonal turquoise blue background. Vincent definitely blends into the wall, perhaps indicating how he feels about himself in life. He is a wallflower, an outsider, and an observer. His fiery red hair and fiery red beard prominently show, contrasting with the pastel turquoise blue of it all. What is most remarkable is his expression. It's stern, intense, and deeply pensive. His eyes penetrate the viewer. If you have a chance to see this work in person, you will see how his eyes follow you about the room. It is almost eerie. I conclude by coming back to the idea that the world's most famous artist died without recognition, selling one painting. There are so many questions surrounding the life of Vincent van Gogh. For all of the questions we compose, for all of the mystery, the truth is sealed in history. I hope Vincent is looking down and smiling as he is the one that holds the answers. And to think, it all started with one blank canvas. All of the works referred to in this episode are in the show notes. You can also see more of the artworks by following us on Instagram at blank underscore canvas underscore podcast, or you can find us on our website, blankcanvaspodcast.com. New episodes will be released on Wednesdays. We are looking forward to your feedback. So if there are any artists in particular that you're wanting to hear more about, feel free to reach out to us on our website or Instagram. Until next time, thank you for listening to Blank Canvas.